in prayer. And I would ask all of you tonight um, to be in prayer for me as we address this passage of text. I, I pray that you would pray for me, that I would do justice to the truth that we find here. Um, so just pray with me now. Lord, I thank you that you have allowed us uh, to come together in this place, to fellowship with one another uh, in the studying of your word, Lord. I thank you uh, for the heart that you've given to each of the teachers that are, that are here, Lord, called to teach your word in the classes. I thank you uh, for the men and women who you have uh, given a desire to go into those classes. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the seeds and the truth that are planted in those classes in ways that would blow the doors off of Mount Carmel, blow the doors off the community that we're in, in the workplaces and in the families that we're in. Lord, I pray that we're not just doing this for spending some time. I pray that it's got more than just a social club written on it, Lord, but that we would be people coming together, encouraging one another in who you've called us to be and going out into this world and, and really making a change for this world, for your glory, for the ongoing of your kingdom. Let us never lose sight in our comforts and our ease that there's much need in this world. Um, I pray, Lord, I pray as I pray for myself, I pray that it would be the same for my brothers and sisters in Christ here tonight, that, that as we eat and, and we give praise and thanks to you for the food that we eat, that we would also not forget that there are those who are hungry. Um, Lord, as oftentimes we, um, we find ourselves, I find myself, with maybe too much to eat. Um, let, let me not be comfortable in that, knowing that there are those who will today uh, die because they've not had enough food. Um, I pray that, that you would move in our hearts and lives in such a way that we would um, make a change for some, Lord. I can't change the entire world, but I can change someone's life for your glory. And I pray that for each of us, that we would have that mindset, that we would look for the little changes that we can make, Lord, and that when we stand before you one day, we will see how you worked all these things together for something much greater than we could ever do on our own. Lord, let our purposes and our plans be fixed firm in you. Lord, I thank you for Christ. Uh, I ask now as we dig into this deep truth of Scripture, that it would uh, serve the purpose for which you have had it penned, Lord. There are many things that you could have hidden from us that would have only been in your counsel, in your mind, and in your knowledge, but you have for some reason revealed these truths to us, and I pray that as we dig into them tonight, that you would give us hearts that were open and teachable, Lord, and that you would give us uh, hope, that you would show us the hope that we as believers can find as we dig into these truths of who you are and what you have done and what you are continuing to do in this world. It's in Christ's name, and it is for his glory. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at 28, 29, and 30. If y'all would give me a second just to get the dry out of my mouth, so I'm going to be kind of trying to go full speed. 
<coughs> excuse me, to get as much out of this tonight, <coughs> excuse me, as I can. So, two things that I want to say before we get started. My purpose tonight in this and in sharing and digging into this passage of text, kind of the central focus and the aim for which I'm going to be speaking the truths that are in this text tonight is for this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Second, I want us to know, we're going to be covering 28, 29, 30, but I want us to see 31, right? Like as we dig through these deeper truths of Scripture, I want us to look forward to where these truths are taking us, right? Um, and 31 kind of begins like this. We, and, and I pray that we get here. This is my prayer in, in presenting this and, and praying over this, is that we get to this point. What then shall we say about these things? And this is not a question mark kind of thing. This is, when we ask that question, we know that answer, Right? Like when we say, what then shall we say about these things? This is a heart that is marveling over truth, right? And that's what I want us to get to as we dig through this passage of text. Uh, first, let me say, Dustin, um, if, you are, if you're men, if you're not in the men's class on Sunday night, um, you are missing out. Dustin did an excellent job covering Ephesians uh, the opening chapters of it tonight, and I want to, to say thank you for the approach that you took towards that text, right? Like, like the, the takeaway for me from that is that these truths lead to the praise of the only one deserving of praise. And the danger, right? You know, who doesn't know what I'm talking about when, when, when I'm referring to Romans 29 and 30 about the potential danger, right? Nobody knows what I'm talking about? I, I, I feel like you probably do, right? I feel like many times it plays maybe an elephant in the room kind of role. And what I want to do tonight is I want to bring it out front and center, and I want to ask some questions about it. And those questions begin with, why? Why here, why now is Paul bringing this truth out, right? That, that truth, let's go ahead and read 28, 29, and 30, right? Um, because there may very well be those here that have maybe never explored this thought or never dug into these kind of things. So I want you to at least know kind of what I'm referencing here. So verse 28 of chapter 8, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also Justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, for the sake of y'all, just I'm just going to play dumb for a second. Can anybody tell me what word in that passage of text is the scary word? 
<laughs> Shane's over here laughing because Shane knows, but you're a preacher, right? So don't, don't give it away. Did I hear it? Predestined, right? So let's, let's be honest. Can we be honest here? How, how many of you, when you hear that word, it makes you a little uneasy? Like, you, you don't know how to... I know it does that. I had, like, a four-hour conversation yesterday, which was an awesome conversation. Like, I love having these kind of conversations. Um, so don't give me... I'm not saying negative that we had a four-hour conversation. Like, it was, like, it was awesome. I, like, I get to have those kind of conversations with my dad. I don't know that there's many people that get to, that get to say that. So I'm absolutely, like thumbs up on that. But how many of us, when you think of what does it mean to be predestined? What, is, what kind of thoughts? I just, I want to kind of pull the audience that when I say predestined, what thoughts or words come into your minds? So chosen? Don't ramble on, Dad. <laughs> I'm teasing. We had a four-hour conversation, though. <laughs> Okay, so choosing. At the end of the day, when we think predestined, we think of God choosing, and that makes us a little uncomfortable. Is this, is it, are there any other words when, when I say predestined that make people feel uncomfortable? So God's choosing, also this will be termed election, like God's election, God's elect, God's chosen, right, Cameron? Okay, so, so when we talk about pre, when we say the word predestined, right, we fall in our minds on one side or the other. True? Like in our minds, when we think about this idea of predestination, of God predetermining things, what do we think of? We think of, am I elect? Am I elect? Who thinks that? Do I have, see, I want to, let's think, that's it. Do I have a choice in the matter, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what I think. It's going to happen anyway, right? If it's predestined, then what, why do missions? So we don't know which ones might be. Or might not be. But can we, can we, I want to say it about 50 times. Well, I'm not going to say it. Well, maybe say it 50 times. We're going to be on this text. We're going a little predestined, 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 predestined. Let's read the text one more time. Verse 29. For those whom he knew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so here's, here's a problem that I have. Is that we have become so afraid of this word, predestined, 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 that we would act as though it was not found in Scripture, it scares us so. And here's what I want to say to that. Deal with it. Deal with it. The word is there. Do y'all follow me? Do y'all follow me? How many of you believe in the Trinity? 
Amen. How many of you have looked through Scripture to find that word? But none of you are uncomfortable with it. Why? Because the truth of it, that that word encapsulates, is found in Scripture. The word predestined is found in Scripture. It is not a matter of I believe it or not. Do y'all follow me? It's a matter of what does it mean then, right? Because the Word is there. The Word is there. You cannot ignore it. If you overlook this truth, you would have to miss a large portion of God's Word. Do y'all follow me? That there are many books, including the book of Romans, that you just should not read. If this word makes you uncomfortable, I want to ask you to get over it with me. Right? That's what I want to ask you. Can, we, can everybody say predestined? Is that... Can, predestined. I mean, I, for, I mean, y'all laugh, y'all laugh, but it's like y'all become so like, this scares you to death that you're like, am I? That you're like afraid to say it. It's the elephant in the room. Can we, can, predestined. 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 Like, get over it. It's not, it's not a word to be scared of. Right? I want to tell you that his uh, dad's raising his hand. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Don't go too far off in left field. <laughs> I love you. We are, we are. And so defensive that we'll ignore that a word's there. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Oh, my word. Somebody said Calvin in, 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 a, in, a, in a Southern Baptist church. You better watch out, Gary. How do you know his name? <laughs> You've been looking into the doctrines of grace. Watch out, my friend. We shall wait because we're afraid somebody will call us Calvinists. <laughs> That's the truth. Like, yeah. So here's what I want us. I want us not to be like, let's put this thing over here and let's never address it because it's awfully scary. And I want us to pull it out. And I want us to look and I want us to say, why here? Why now? Why here? Why now? Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Like last week when the word called came out, like those who were called, when, when that word came out, it kind of invokes a similar feeling of elect, chosen, predestined. And, and one thing that I wanted to point out last week is that we so are nervous about these words that we so completely overlook the fact that it says those who love God. We don't ask the question of how did we get from a state of Romans chapter 3, no one seeks after God. So if you're not seeking after God, you're certainly not loving Him. You're certainly not loving the things of Him. We don't ask the question of how did I get from a state of never seeking after God to a state of loving Him, which is polar opposites, running away from Him when trouble comes and running to Him when trouble comes. That's the difference. In those two things. You didn't seek Him, but now you love Him. 
right? And we get so nervous and so like encamped in particular ideas, or we, we, I'm not, I can't handle that idea, right? I don't know that I know enough to dig into that, so I'm just not going to address it. Here's what I want to tell you. As I stand here to present this to you, and I was telling Shane this, an eternity it's going to take me to get this completely. An eternity. The problem is, is that y'all think it's only those kind of things, right? Like, here's what I'm telling you is that God is so big that you look at certain things like that you love God and you measure it like, I got that, I love Him. Boom, check. In eternity, every day you will love Him more. Every day you will marvel more at His glory. Right? So we'll look at a word like this and be like, man, I don't know if I can handle that. But then a word like you loved him, like you embrace that. Right? You think that's easy for you. But what I want to say is that it was a very difficult thing for you to love God. Why do I say that? Because the cross must happen for you to love God. So, so it was not, in fact, an easy thing. But you've maybe grown cold to it. You maybe look at loving God as something that you you got a, a handle on, and then there's these other things that you don't feel like you have a handle on, and you want to ignore them and put them to the side and say, well, I don't believe that. And you know why you don't believe that? Can I be honest? Because I've had enough conversations with you, um, with enough of you to kind of get why this word bothers us. Because every time that I say predestined, you immediately go to, why would God send people to hell? Right? Is that not where our mind goes immediately? Why would he make us if he's going to send us to hell? That's, that's it. Like how many, raise your hand, raise your hand, if when you think of predestination, that is the gut thought that you have. It is. If you've thought about it, it probably is. Right? If you've thought about it, if you've not wrestled with hell and predetermination, if you've not wrestled with that, then you don't care enough. And you probably need to check up on whether you love God or not. Right? God's glory is at stake in, in all of this, right? So I want us to think about these things, predestination being kind of one of the things that we're going to dig into and look at, not only tonight, but we're going to be looking into kind of this whole idea of God's sovereign working out of His plan without failing here, and then we're going to cover it in 9, 10, and chapter 11. Um, as well of the book of Romans. So we're going to have a lot of time to kind of dig into these things. But the one thing that I want to point out to you, right, like I want, I, like tonight, if, if not anything else, like one goal that I want us to have is that I want us to be able to, as believers, how, we're believers, right? Y'all are the church. As believers, I want us to be able to approach this word comfortably, Right? I don't want you to feel like if you ask a question, you're going to be martyred for your questioning, right? But one thing that I want to get across to you is that it is absolutely wrong of you that when we're in the book of Romans chapter 8 and it says he predestined, when it says he did these things, it is absolutely sinful 
for you to question the character of God here. That's what you do immediately. And I want us to be mindful of that, right? When we say, the word is here, right? The word is here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And we, and, and we stop there. Like, mind goes, why is he sending people to hell? Instead of pressing forward on, finishing at least the sentence, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. At least finish the sentence before you start stepping over into why is God making people for hell? He's so evil. How many of you in here tonight think that God is evil? How many of you think that the thoughts of God are evil? How many of you think that the plans and purposes of God are evil? Is God good? Is He, in fact, holy, 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 or is He evil? He's holy, holy, holy. Hold to that. As we explore this doctrine, this truth that we find the words in the Bible, as we explore this, hold on as a believer. You are a believer. I get if a lost person immediately runs to questioning God's character. That's how they do. That's how they've been doing. But as believers... You're bought into the cross, friends. We covered last, last week that the cross happened by the predetermined plan of God. The cross, where the one who owed us nothing lived spotlessly, laying his life down. Don't question the character of God. I want to ask us as we dig into this, don't let your mind immediately, when, he, when I say predestined, he predestined, don't let your mind immediately go to those who will go to hell. Because here's, I want to comfort you, and I tried to do it last week, that there will be no one in hell wanting to be in heaven. I said that, and I said it knowing that when you hear that, you're like, I don't, I'm going to have to think about that for a little bit. Right, Because I want you to go back through the book of Romans. I want you to see that no one seeks God. Fact. Fact. Had Christ not come, the world was destined for what? Hail and hatred eternally of their Creator. You freely go to hell. Those who are in hell are in hell because they are sinners. And God is good and just and holy, holy, holy. So then, why here does Paul bring this truth to light? Right? So, one thing that I want us to get here is that the... Where are we in the book of Romans? Where are we at now? What has been preached to us clearly at this point? Anybody? The what? The what? What has been preached to us? What has been taught to us at the point that we're in Romans chapter 8? Church together? What's been taught? The gospel. Shall we go back to remind ourselves where Paul started, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. 
for salvation to everyone who believes. So it's God's power to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is presented now, right? He didn't start Romans chapter 1 with the truth that we're digging into now, right? So who then is this truth for? Why would he lay it out for us now? The gospel preached. Why now? Bring us this truth. Why now? That's the question that we should be asking ourselves. And I want to tell you that this truth for you as a believer is to make you fearless. This truth is to quicken you that God cannot, could not, would not, will not, it is impossible for him to fail. As a believer, all things are working together for your good. Every single thing. Not that everything that happens to you is good. Let's be clear on that. This world is full of evil. There are those who will die and go to hell today. There are those who will die today, the gospel never having been preached to them. And what is their hope? Did they believe in Christ? See, because if I had this conversation with many of you, many of you would like to comfort yourselves in the idea that somehow he showed up in some visions somewhere. Right? Like you want to you think that, that, that the church is not to go out into the place that the church gets its head cut off, that the church is supposed to sit somewhere comfortable. The gospel must go out. The gospel must be preached. And people afraid of losing everything will not do that. So here, for you, church, the context. I hope that you see in this discussion that I'm trying to set the context for which we should look at this text. You have believed the gospel because God has had the gospel preached to you. Not because you sought the gospel out, but because God sends messengers. The word is preached. The spirit moves. The heart is changed for him. And now what? As believers, where do we stand when we are in between worlds? Right? We, we've been looking at the hope that we have. Right? What is our hope? Can somebody, can somebody tell me so that I know that I didn't preach that in vain? What is our hope? What are, where are we looking? 
So we're looking to Christ, we're looking to heaven. Is heaven a fluttery place out there somewhere, or are we looking for bodies, right? Are we looking for resurrection life? Are we looking for a restoration of where man went wrong? Are we looking for creation restored? I hope, I hope, I hope that you're looking for a world that's better than this one. I hope that your view of heaven is not one that's like, man, there's a lot of fun stuff to do, it, that, to do here, and I don't know that there's so much fun to be had there. Like, I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that you see that your best life is not now, that your best life is in the resurrection. Right? That there are good days here, and there are bad days here. Truth. But our hope is not here. Our hope is there. So we should not live as though our hope is here. So God has, for those who have believed His Word about His Son, given you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you in your weakness, and He's given you the truth of who He is in His Word to quicken you as a believer so that you live lives differently. And this is where this truth comes in. Right? This is where the truth that God is in absolute control comes in. And your mind should not quickly run to hell. But your mind should run to the security that you have in a Savior that cannot fail you. So that though the, the furnace may be fiery, we do not fear running headlong into the furnace. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Gates keep people in. Right? We are to be running unafraid into the fire to save the lost, knowing that persecution may come. Trials and tribulations may come. Hard days may come. Death may come. But God cannot fail. And He cannot fail because His purposes and plans cannot fail. This is where we're at, church. And we know that for those, this is 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And here's where He grounds that truth, right? So out of 28, we have this hope that God's going to work everything together in accordance with His purpose. And now in verse 29 and 30, what is known as the golden chain, here's where we find ourselves anchored in. For, or because, those whom He foreknew. So I want us to stop here, and I want us to think about the knowledge of God just for a moment. And I want us to think about what this can't mean and what it can mean. So what does God know? Everything. When we say that God knows everything, what do we mean by everything? So he knows past, present, future. What else does he know? Being nice, he doesn't know being nice. Thank you, Izzy. He is where nice is, it comes from. All right, so I want us to think of a couple of ways in which we can kind of categorize God's knowledge. Right? What color is this carpet? Is it? It's 
kind of greenish. I don't know. <laughs> it's blue. We'll say it's blue for the sake of discussion. So that is a truth value, right? You don't believe the carpet's blue. It either is or isn't. All right? Let's explore something else. One plus one equals... Why doesn't it equal four? It doesn't, right? So these are logical things. These have truth value to them, right? A square is not a circle. It's a truth value, right? So God knows all truths, right? So we can say that, that all true values he knows, right? So that's one thing to look at. Now I want us to consider creatures, right? So knowing that blue is blue and that one plus one is two and not four or six or whatever else, right? That's one kind of truth. But we can dig into God's knowledge of truth in, in other ways, right? So we can think of God knowing. And, here's, and I want us to look at particular passages um, of text on this. Um, this is Matthew chapter 11. If you want to pull it up, we're going to look at one area of truth. And, and you will find these throughout Scripture. You will find these throughout Scripture. But this is one particular case that I want us to kind of look at and examine. We're, we're thinking about God's knowledge, God's foreknowledge of things. So Matthew chapter 11, it's on that piece of paper that, that I had handed out. Chapter 11, verse, we're going to start in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin, or Chorazon, uh, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So does, does Sodom remain to this day? So a truth value there would be that Sodom does not, in fact, exist to this day. At the point that Scripture was written, and I want you all to follow with me. This, I understand that this is a difficult kind of thing to wrestle with in the mind, but I want you all to, to just bear with me for a moment on this. When this text was written, did Sodom exist? Why didn't it exist? Y'all know why it didn't exist. Because God destroyed it. So the truth value that God knew then, when this was written, would be what? That it did not exist. Right? But this is another kind of, or another category of knowledge here. Right? This is what would happen. So God knows what is true, and God knows what would happen. Right? God knows what would happen if you had been the person nailing the nails on that day. But were you the person nailing the nails on that day? No, you were not. So the truth is, you are not. But God knows what you would do. This is evidence in Scripture, right? What does he say? If they had seen what you have seen, what would have happened? What does the Scripture say? If they had seen what you had said, it had, it, that you had seen, what would have happened? What would they have done? This place that God poured 
fire from heaven down on them. What would they have done if they saw what taking place here? Truth. Who's speaking this? Who's speaking this? Christ is speaking this. So is Christ wrong in saying that? Was he false in that assumption? No. Christ has a knowledge of what would happen in any given circumstance. Had you lived any different life, he knew what it would have taken for Sodom to repent. Do y'all see that there? Do y'all see that he knew what it would have taken for them to repent? And what's the truth of what happened? They didn't repent. They were destroyed. There's a lot to chew on there, church. I want y'all to get that. There's a lot to chew on. That we are not going to be able to get into tonight. Right? But what I want to point out here is that God knows more about you than what will happen to you. Right? He knows more than where your life will end. He knows what would have happened had He placed you in any number of circumstances throughout history. He knows the truth of those things. Yet He did not place you there. He placed you where you are. And if you're a believer here today, how many of you said to God, I will be born on this day, and I will live this life, and I will travel this path? Did Paul say to God before he spoke Paul into existence, Lord, I'm going to pick the Damascus Road as my day? Who knew? From before he created anything. He knew. This should be humbling to us. When we look at this text, this should be humbling as believers. He knew you. So he knows facts. He knows the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and he knows the will. He knows what will happen to you because he placed you in history, in this life that you find yourself on today. He knows all of these things. What I want to tell you, like the, the, the reason for digging into this, is I want to tell you that God does not have to peer down the corridors of time to know what you will do. That he's not dependent on your actions to know what you will do. He knows all truth eternally. So that he can make statements like this, which never happened. But don't you believe that if the gospel was preached there in the way that Jesus is describing, they would have repented? Or are you calling Christ a liar there? So he knows 
all truth. And out of this foreknowledge, let's go back. Out of this foreknowledge, for those whom he foreknew, and I want to tell you that he knows more than we could ever imagine him knowing. Right? So I want us to understand this as we dig into this golden chain that that links in primarily, firstly, in the knowledge of God. And I want you to know that it links in in a very personal way. That Gary Key he knew. Cameron Key he knew. Shane Kip, Donna, every one of you he knew by name. Are you his this morning? Can I get a raise in the hands if we ain't ashamed that we are his this morning? If you are his this morning, follow me in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he knew, friend, he knew you. He also predestined you, and he did not stop there. And this is why it irks me to no end. When we get down, we're like, predestined, boom, I'm thinking about hell now, and all those people that are going to hell now. You, friend, believe in the name of Christ. You, your end is glory. Your end is Eternal life with your Creator who knew you. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. All the way and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. And that once spoke of you, but no more does it speak of you because He also predestined you to be conformed. Your end is in conformity to the one who's called you to him. Follow me. Follow me. For he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Will he fail in conforming you? Will he fail in this along the way? Will there be a day for you that it gets too hard for you to bear the burden anymore? No. It will not. It will not. And y'all know that. I hear you preach, brother. You know it. Amen and amen. You know the truth. That His end for you is conformity with Christ. Hallelujah. Amen to the praise of the One who is worthy of praise. Man alive. How do we not hold on to this truth? It is for us something sweet and we treat it as something so bitter. Something to put aside and not talk about. Your end is secured. Your end is secured because He cannot fail. 
Follow me in the reading of this text. Please follow me. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also glorified. And those whom He ju- or excuse me, justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. He, 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 he. So when you feel weak, know that he is so strong. He is so strong. And he cannot, will not, could not ever fail in what he set out for you whom he foreknew. Man, this is such a, such a sweet hope that we have that it is based in Him and not in us. Such a sweet hope that we, we know, man, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the temptations, rest in this. Church, rest in this, that He that started the work in you will finish the work in you. So when we get to this text and we're wondering why, look at church history, friends. Look at church history and look what comes to the Christians in Rome. And they sing glory through it all because the truth that they hold to is a God who cannot fail them. Even if it requires their life. Even if it requires their life. His purposes will be completed. His purposes will be completed. We will be conformed into the image of His Son in order that, again, friends, this doctrine is one that shows us that God is glorified. And this, the end of verse 29 there, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Who is this speaking of here? Who is this speaking of here? This is speaking of Christ. This is speaking of Christ. And I want you to know, like, in all of this, like, I want you to just, like, savor the truth of, of this passage, knowing that it, that it is for God's glory, that Christ will be lifted high, that good will come, that good will come, even through the midst of the deepest and darkest trials, that those who love God, friend, you love God. God and for you all things are being worked together by the hand of God for the glory of Christ and it is a beautiful thing let us not be afraid let's not be afraid to engage these things because the why like why do you put this here now is because Christians who hold to this truth can't lose hope. You can't lose hope. You don't think that, that, that Satan has the upper hand. You don't think that he's strong enough or that, that you're foolish enough that you can remove yourself or that he could somehow snatch you away. You are secured by the hand of God. By the grace of God, in the mercy of God, in the gospel of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He also called. 
Now, I want us to, man, when we start thinking about this, I want us to, we're going to get into calling a little bit later. Um, so, let's, actually, let's, uh, let's, go ahead and, let's go ahead and flip over uh, really quickly. Second uh, Thessalonians, and it's chapter 2, and I'm just going to read from 13 to 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel. How are we called? How will they be called? How will someone come to know Him? If they hear the word. How do they hear the word if no one preaches the word? How do they preach the word if no one sends them to preach the word? We're going to get to that, right? Like, y'all should see allusions to further uh, reading in the book of Romans there, right? So the calling is the, the going out of the gospel. You've heard the gospel preached, Right? Here's the thing, man. There are those who have not heard the gospel yet that it may very well be some of you who bring the gospel to them. God could have in His foreknowledge, foreordering, predestining, set you aside to play a role like Paul played. How crazy is it to think that that might be here? How crazy. But it could be. Some of, and you think, well, maybe I'm too old or I'm too young. Or I don't know enough. No. Stop that thinking. He, 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 he. In this text, what we draw out is what he does. He will not fail in conforming us to the image of His Son. And in the midst of that, we go. He sins. Others are called when the gospel goes out. The most beautiful thing that we can do with this life is the sharing of the gospel because in the gospel comes the call. His Holy Spirit reaches out in it. To those whom he has foreknown. This is the crazy thing. We don't step out in doubt or question. Right? It's not a matter of stepping out as though the gospel might fail when we go out to preach it. Do y'all get that? That this idea that he is for, that when he sends you, he knows for who he's sending you. He knows it. He knows them. By name, there are Garys and Camerons and Landons and Adrians and Mary Corrins and Izzy's. The gospel will go to. Will go to. And you say, well, what if we just all said we wouldn't? What if we threw a wrench in his plans? Who do you think dwells in you? Who do you think that it is that, that the heart of the king is steered by his hands? We'll go because he changes us and gives us hearts that love him. And it's from that heart that we go. It's from that heart that we go. 
Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. We have covered plenty of justification. But let us, just for the moment, flip back to Romans chapter... And y'all don't have to go there. Y'all have already been there. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start 21. But the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. How are we justified? By faith alone and the work of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Done. Done. Past tense. Glorified. You are glorified in Christ. Now I want us to tie this back. I want us to, to think about all that we've looked at so far. And this is, we're, we're going to kind of close with this idea. So Paul here in Romans chapter 8 will say 15, for you did not receive the spirit of, uh, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father, His end purpose for you was sonship. He has made you sons and daughters of the King, and you cry out to Him as your Father. The Spirit Himself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. True statement. If you are God's, His Spirit will confirm this to you. And if children, then heirs. You are heirs of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And this is it, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. And this is many weeks back, I know, many hours of preaching, I know. But he starts here. And he digs into this idea of suffering. Because this life, like, I, like I've said times before, when you step forward in glory, you'll see, you'll see how good it is. Right? You're going to see that the best day here, the best day here, pales in comparison to the first glimpse of it. Right? Who, or provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be also glorified with him. There is a sense in which now, in this moment, you stand glorified in Christ. Walk in that. The why, the why, why bring this up now, Paul? Because he knows, like I know for you, that you're going through stuff. He knows that it's tough. He knows it may very well get worse. He wants to tell you the Spirit's there, and the Spirit will comfort you. No, no. The truth that God cannot fail. Know that, right? Know that. Let it make you fearless for Him. Knowing that this life is not all that there is. And that the hope that we have is greater. So much greater 
than the best days here. And it will make the worst days here be something that we say, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, be, that is to be revealed to us. Next week, we're going to dig in a little more. We're going to dig into this idea of praise because I would say that all that he is saying from the end of, uh, for the rest of this chapter is words of praise, right? What then shall we say about, or what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to go there next week, but I want you to be kind of resting in that. I want you to think about what God has done, is doing, cannot fail in completing in you as a believer. I want your thoughts to revolve around that, not about the other things, because Paul's not bringing it up to bring into mind those other things. He's bringing this in mind to encourage you to encourage you in your trials, in your sufferings, that He's got you. And He will not drop you. He will not let you slip through. Be encouraged by the words of this book because He cannot fail. You serve, believers, you serve a God who cannot fail. There are things that He can't do. Failing is one of those things. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the hope that you have given to us. Lord, I, I pray that um, as we dig deeper and deeper into the truth of your word, that, that it would serve more and more to encourage us. I pray that any time that I present your word, that I do it... Uh, to build your people up, to show them the hope that they have in you, to encourage them, to embolden them. Lord, I pray that we become a fearless people for you. Lord, I pray that that is us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move among us to quicken us. Lord, if there are any among us, and I know that there are who are suffering, uh, that are struggling in whatever way that it may be, Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would be an anchor for their souls and that your Holy Spirit would encourage them through the truth of your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I pray that I would always do justice to it in the preaching of your word. Thank you.